Welcome back to Well, That's Interesting, the fancy weapon and a fucked up planet edition. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I'm really excited about this fancy weapon. Oh, it's so fancy. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I I love fancy stuff. Sure. I love a fancy, Mm -hmm. um, restaurant. I love a fancy, I love a fancy cocktail. Oh yeah. I love a fancy weapon. Weapon. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Uh, Amazing. Then you came to the right place because today is in between 088 King Tut's meteorite dagger. That's really fancy. It's the fanciest you're going to get. Doesn't get much fancier than that. And yet another truly hellish exoplanet. Mm. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So I feel like I should know what an exoplanet is (laughs) by now. We, We did do a whole episode once upon a time. Okay. <laughs> Many margaritas ago. Yes. We did um we did an episode about it. Do you want to remind me now what an exoplanet is or later? Um how about later? Okay. Yeah. I'm Jill Chacha and I am with the woman who's just so excited about exoplanets. <laughs> <laughs> Marissa Riley. That's me. I am thrilled. <laughs> Exoplanets, whatever they are. Um, I'm also freaking thrilled about this dagger. Oh my god. I can't wait to Cannot talk wait. about it more. Uh, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the flock. Welcome. Dr. Riley here comes in cold and learns everything in real time, just like you. It's true. I had no idea what we were going to talk about today, and I still don't know what half of what we're going to talk about <laughs> is uh, today. Good enough. But... <laughs> Can't wait. Let's do it. Uh, Yes, my friends, today is all about extremes. In the first half of the show, we're going to talk about what happens when the universe gifts humans with ancient space debris and what we turn it into. Uh, If you said we probably craft weapons out of it, you're right. Yeah, uh, yeah. (laughs) Everything can be a weapon or a dildo. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Don't don't mix these two. No, 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 no. Uh, in the second half of the show, we're going to travel to an exoplanet just yes. a mere 850 light years from Earth. But honestly, it could not be any more different than our beautiful life-giving home. Oh. I don't want to give too much away now, but on your average day there, one side of the planet is a balmy 4,500 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean... <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I, as someone who grew up in Austin, Texas, yeah. where the summer highs... Uh, we're 110, mm. sometimes 112. That's insane. Uh, I can say that 4,500 degrees Fahrenheit is, uh, is too hot. It's a, it's a little bit hotter than that. It's too hot. No, <laughs> no amount of, uh, leather bikinis and cutoffs, uh, will prepare you yeah. for that. That was, that was a very specific outfit. We'll get into that later. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, that kind of heat creates an environment no mind could possibly make up, nope. no matter how deranged it is. And we're going to talk all about it. We're going to have a lot of fun. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Let's yeah. do it. But let's begin with um, everyone's favorite and tragic young king, Tutankhamun. I am familiar. Yeah. Whose life was cut short at the age of 19. Yeah. According to the folks over at a little encyclopedia called Britannica. Oh, I'm familiar. Uh, quote, for many years, it was believed that the boy king died of an infected broken leg. Oh. However, in 2010, scientists found traces of malaria parasites in Tutankhamun's remains indicating that malaria, perhaps in combination with a degenerative bone disease, may have been the cause of death. 
end quote. I like how it's just so easy to die of oh. like five different things yeah. back in the day. At once. Like you think it's easy to die <laughs> today? Oh my God. They would die of anything. Yeah, don't break your leg. Don't fall. Or get don't... bone disease <laughs> and malaria at the same just Ouch. at the same time at nineteen. Oh, nineteen. This is wild. But but for him that might that might as well have been like eighty four. That's a yeah, long life. That is. Good for Tut. Good for Tut. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, young, old, sudden, or expected, when a king dies. You fucking go all out when it comes to burial. Oh, fuck yeah. And boy, howdy. If anyone knows how to do that, it's the Egyptians. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Little King Tut was buried within not one, but five tombs configured like a Russian doll of sorts. Amazing, amazing. Uh, His sarcophagus alone was actually three coffins nestled one inside the other. Just amazing. Uh, Back in 1923... When English archaeologist Howard Carter and a bunch of other white dudes entered the massive expanse that was Tut's burial plot, there were no less than 5,000 items found within. You know, I was just on Instagram, and um, <laughs> okay. it's funny how much you need something that you didn't know existed five seconds ago, mm-hmm. and you're like, you just hear about it, and you're like, I need this plastic heart-shaped bikini top yeah i need it right now instagram just told me to buy it and i feel the same way with king tut's burial yeah i need five just in case co- just I, yeah. you never know you never know what's gonna happen right. afterwards and i think i need five coffins and i think i need <laughs> five thousand pieces of crap with me yeah so that if i wake up somewhere really interesting i have my plastic bikini tops. I have my eight pairs of tennis shoes that all look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I have everything. Yeah. I have my face products. I need it all. Yeah. Jill, it's, write it's, this down. It, I am. <laughs> Luckily, we have She's it She's not writing it down. Oh, yeah. For <laughs> Anyways. Just write it down anyway. <laughs> so many, many, many of these 5,000 items raised a lot of questions about the teen's life and death, but one dagger really stood out. And Dr. Marissa, I have a photo of it right here, and I'd love for you to take a look. Uh, Please just describe it for us and any thoughts you may have. Uh, And of course, all photos we talk about today will be on our social media stuffs. So please come on by and take a look at this dagger. Dr. Marissa, would you be buried with this? (laughs) Next to your bikinis. (laughs) 100%. I need this right next to the bikinis mm-hmm. um i am gonna need this uh, i actually need this right now i it's pretty nice i don't really need to stab anyone right now i just <laughs> want it like on a coffee table <laughs> it is um uh, it's so cool it's gold it's got a gold handle mm-hmm. the gold handle has stripes on it kind of this resiny black uh and the golds uh like uh, uh horizontal stripes it's got this cool like uh sort of almost diamond shaped etchings in it yeah. the very tip of the handle looks like it's a clear glass it looks like glass yeah it looks like gla- it's uh, this awesome knob i you know if i was making a dagger i would not think to do that but it really works and then the the actual blade is like you know silver blade classic yeah. and then um it actually has sort of a little bit of wear and tear um these sort of like tarnished spots mm-hmm. which makes it look even cooler yeah it looks like a vent like if i went to a, like a vintage store and saw it i'd be like i don't know what i'm gonna do with this but i 
needed because it's so cute. This dagger, you know, it's been used. It's been stabbed. Stabby. Yeah. Like, it's, it's been used to stab things. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it when people buy like really nice shoes or like a really nice dagger and then they don't use yeah, it. Yeah. Use your daggers. Use people. your designer daggers. <laughs> don't be afraid. That's what they're for. That's right. Yeah. Um, other than that. <laughs> so it has a beautiful gold handle, but other other than that, it looks like any dagger you'd see in a sword collection belonging to someone named Kevin. Yeah, um, Kevin. But, but on this, <laughs> this is definitely a Kevin. Uh, it's in there, right next to his like Lord of the Rings. Yes, or his Game of Thrones sword. Yeah. I'm one to talk because I used to own um. <laughs> The, the Kill Bill sword. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a replica, but then I left it at someone's house. I need to call them because I really want it back. If you have Dr. Marissa's Javier, if you're listening to this podcast, I really want my sword back. <laughs> oh. oh, God. Let's get to specifics. All right. <laughs> According to our source study, published in the February 2022 issue of Meteoritics and Planetary Sciences, quote, it consists of a double-edged metallic iron blade and a hilt primarily made of gold. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the length of the dagger is 14 inches or 35.2 centimeters, and the iron blade is 8 inches in length or 21.8 centimeters, end quote. So I don't know much about daggers. Mm. That sounds like a good size. It's a good size. A good 8, eight inches. So <laughs> So, eight inches. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to do it with my hands. Yes, it's. I just have it no like concept playing, of space. <laughs> it, looks like it, looks like, it looks like you're playing the accordion. <laughs> just like all over the place. It sounds great. Yeah. Um, I still want it. Yeah. So, what is the big fucking deal with this dagger? Right. Well, here's the curious part, Dr. Marissa. Please tell us. According to Isaac Schultz of Gizmodo. What was really unique about this object? I would love to talk about this. All right, quote, its blade was a perplexing discovery considering the Iron Age didn't kick off until a century after Tut's death, mm-hmm. end quote. This is ahead of, of its, its time. Of its time, yeah. That, it's even cooler now. <laughs> wow, right. they discovered the band before you did. That's right. Uh, that's right, my friends. Ye old Iron Age was a period in human history between 1200 BC and 600 BC. This was when people across much of Europe, Asia, and Africa began making tools and weapons, of course, from iron and steel on a regular basis, mining ore and smoldering it to perfection. Mining ore and smoldering it to yes. perfection. That's the coolest thing you've ever <laughs> said. <laughs> So Mr. Tut, well, he died around 1323 BC, well before the Iron Age kicked off in 1200 BC. Hot damn. Yeah. In fact, he not only had an iron dagger on him, he had some iron bling as well, including an iron headrest and an iron bracelet. Oh, so, mm-hmm. where did it come from? Right. I wonder. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure you have a few questions like how the fuck? Where yeah. did that iron come from? And who the fuck made these beautiful things? Well, if you said to yourself, I bet at some point, way, way back in human history, some people figured out that meteors contain a material you can make shit out of, a material like iron. If you thought this, you're absolutely right. Amazing. Once upon a time, humans waited for meteors to fall to Earth so they could forge tools and pointy killy things. 
I know I'm not supposed to like like this, but I I love this. Yes, it's pretty I cool. love that like there's like people and then you see like a meteor come out of the sky and then they just pick up their bags. They're like, all right, we gotta Let's go do now. this. Yep. And then they just start running <laughs> yeah. through a field because they didn't have cars. They <laughs> just start running towards it. <laughs> so, yeah, somebody was on meteor duty. <laughs> you can't you can't fuck that up. You have to. Can you imagine? There's only so many. Yes. I don't know how often they, because I, I don't think about it very much, but <laughs> I really have to think you about really it. You really got to pay fucking attention. So, Dr. Marissa, please tell us what Albert Jambon from the National Center for Scientific Research in France told Atlas Obscura in an interview. I would love to talk about it. All right. From the article, before the Iron Age, most iron came from space. That's amazing. Quote, it has been thought, for example, that the iron used by the Egyptians came from an early smelting industry in Anatolia. Anatolia. Anatolia, I got it, it. Uh, where the Hittites may have started to work iron as early as 1500 BC. Perhaps not coincidentally, some of the oldest records of meteors in the sky are found in cuneiform texts written in Hittite. Jambon believes that they were harvesting their early iron from these celestial omens and then trading some to Egypt. Some archaeologists believed uh, the Hittites invented iron making. That's so cool. He says, but they were hunting meteorites. End mm-hmm. quote. So yeah, it's like we said, they're running, grabbing these meteorites, mm-hmm. making it. Thank you, Hittites. For, <laughs> Thank you. For, uh, for doing this. It's yeah. so damn cool. It's so cool. Yeah, the Hittites were a small population of super crafters who figured out what to do with all these space rocks. Amazing. They would yeah. have had a killer Etsy store. Oh my god. Can you imagine? They were the, they were the first Etsy. Oh, <laughs> mind blown. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's fucking amazing. And if you're wondering where in the world Anatolia was, it's the countries we now call Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, and Cyprus. I'm so, really glad you said that because that I was part. like, does everyone know where no. Anatolia <laughs> is? And I, I just really missed that day. <laughs> I had to look it up. So. Okay, wonderful. So just to put this region's incredible innovation into context, Europeans and the West, quote, really didn't take notice of meteorites until the 16th century or so. It's embarrassing. Yes. Europeans didn't bother with meteors until the 1500s AD and the Hittites were like experts as early as 1500 BC. So dude, <laughs> get it together. Yeah. If you see something falling out of the sky, you better check that ch- shit ch- ch- check out. out. Yeah. Stop being lazy and being like, <laughs> I don't fucking care. Go get it and make some fucking jewelry out of it. You lazy fucking dipshits. I don't know why I'm so passionate so about passionate. this. Wow. I, Just, or not. Do, do whatever you want. Uh, and that quote was from Atlas Mascara. <laughs> so do whatever you want. So my friends, let's fast forward to 2016. Okay. When a chemical analysis of the dagger was performed. And yes, it was confirmed. The blade was made from a meteor. That's so cool. Damn. Yeah. But of course, this raised a couple of more questions. Like what kind of meteor... And honestly, who gave this dagger to Tut? Excellent questions. Researchers had their money on something called an octahedrite meteor. Okay. And Dr. Marissa, 
Our resident rock lover here. That's me. Yeah. Please tell us, what the hell is that? Let's talk about it. Let's <laughs> talk about some octahedrites from the wiki. Quote, octahedrites are the most common structural class of iron meteorites. They derive their name from their crystal structure, paralleling an octahedron. Uh, due to a long cooling time in... Uh, I'm going to start this again. Yeah. Uh, due to a long cooling time uh, in the interior of the parent asteroid, the materials crystallize into intermixed millimeter-sized bands. When polished, the classic uh, Woodmanstanton mm -hmm. Wood patterns of intersecting lines are visible. End quote. All right, I want to process this for yeah. one second. So it yeah. sounds like... When the interior is cooling, you got it. Um, for like a piece of it is cooling, um, it crystallizes, yeah, and kind of creates this cool pattern. You got it. Amazing. That's exactly it. Amazing. We're yeah. gonna see this, right? We're so gonna see. <laughs> okay. This. Cool. 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 Yeah. I'm trying to picture it, but I'm like. Yes, exactly. It's really hard to explain the Widman-Staten pattern, so I'm just going to show you what a cross-section of an absolutely beautiful octahedrite meteor looks like, Yeah. Uh, and it will tell you everything you need to know. And of course, this photo is on our social media stuff. Just come on by and look at how fucking gorgeous the interior of this uh, meteor oh is. God. Here it is. I mean, this is everything oh my God. and more. This is the coolest fucking thing in the world. First of all, it reminds me a little bit of a geode where yeah. like it's like a kind of like a rock, classic rock on the outside. And then you cut it and inside is just magic to behold. <laughs> like it's just like, who knew? Yes. Who fucking knew? Yeah. Except in this case, it's like imagine like um, iron. Let's imagine that because that's what it is. And then imagine like etched on or, or inside of it is um, these sort of crisscross uh, diagonal lines, but it's so cool. It's yeah. just like crisscrossed etched lines all through it. And uh, since they crisscross, they kind of create these little triangles and it's just so gorgeous. Yeah. I'm not really doing it justice. Please look <laughs> at this picture. It's so aesthetically pleasing. It's really, it's I, I just, want it yeah. right now. I, yeah. I, can we get one? Sure. Okay, cool. Well, I'm assuming we can Etsy. Yeah, or this. just watch the skies. Or just, just wait. Constantly. Fair. Okay, so. let's get on the roof. So, was this dagger made from this gorgeousness? And uh, really, there's only one way to find out. Oh, okay. Uh, from Isaac Schultz, once more. Quote, to understand the manufacturer and origin of the dagger, we conducted an on-site non-contact, non-destructive, two-dimensional chemical analysis, said co-study, said author, I'm sorry, <laughs> said study, <laughs> said study co-author Tomoko Ari, a researcher at the Chaiba Institute of Technology in Japan. Now, this is the coolest thing ever yeah. that, that they can do this without like, hold on. Yeah. Not touching it? Not, yeah. Didn't have to. Not at all. Magic. It's fucking incredible. I fucking love science. <laughs> Continuing the quote, the researchers mapped the elemental structure of the blade by shining x-rays onto it, revealing concentrations of iron, nickel, manganese, and cobalt. In the blackened spots of the blade, they found sulfur, chlorine, calcium, and zinc. But just as interesting as the elements present 
was there a distribution? Ooh. Yeah, end quote. So, Dr. Marissa, it's up to you now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Please take a look at their distribution. Now, this is on a molecular... Molecular... This is on a molecular level, so it's super close up. Okay. Imagine the photo we just saw, and then we zoom right the fuck in. Okay, okay. 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 So, do they form the same intersecting lined pattern as the octahedrite sample? Okay. Okay. Here it is. So my answer is I'm, yes, Yeah. question mark. <laughs> um, I will say this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. It is, it is a lot like the one I saw. It's just more detailed. Yeah. It's like, um, imagine like lines in different shades of like white, gray, and silver and black. And they're, it's these diagonal lines they're intersecting but it's like this is a two-dimensional picture but it looks so three-dimensional yeah. like it looks like these lines keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and um i want to buy this yeah. i not not like the material i want to buy that too but i want to buy this picture it would make a great print yeah <laughs> yeah it's so gorgeous yeah it's beautiful cross hatching yeah that's, that's what creates that illusion of depth it's just it's just and it, and it looks like paint it yeah. looks like someone painted this and like you know went to art school and stuff good for them good for i mean them. i mean good for um the meteor the meteor yes <laughs> <laughs> so co-author tomoko ari went on to say quote we noticed a cross cross-hatched texture pres present in places for both sides of the dagger, suggesting Vinman-Statin structure typical of an octahedrite iron meteorite. That was our wow moment. Fuck yeah. End quote. Amazing. So, if a weapon mel melted down from a cosmic meteor and given to a dead royal isn't poetry enough for you, there's still the question of who gave it to the late boy. Oh, yeah. That's right. Dr. Marissa... Dust off your archaeological hat you or archaeologist it. hat, whatever. Yes. Would you like to tackle this together? Fuck yeah. <laughs> All right. Why don't you take it away? Let's do it. All right. From the Gizmodo article, King Tut's meteorite dagger has a mystery origin story. I'm so here for it. Quote, Though the chemical analysis didn't offer clues to the dagger's origins, the team turned to a series of uh, 3,400-year-old tablets known as the Amarna Letters, which document diplomatic activities in ancient Egypt in the mid-14th century BCE. So kind of like their wiki. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the letters mention an iron dagger in a gold sheath. Oh, yeah. Presumably not a common accessory back then. That was given to Amenhotep III, Tutankhamun's grandfather. Oh. It was given to him by the king of Mitanni, Mita, hmm, a region it. of Anatolia, when Amenhotep married his daughter. End quote. That, so. that was a lot of really yes. big words. And you fucking Thank nailed you. it. So it sounds like it was given down... It was passed down to him yes. by his grandfather. Yep. So they've had this for a long fucking time. It's even older than they thought. Yeah. Wow. This, this may have been a wedding gift turned family heirloom and a fucking ancient one at that. Uh, they believe it was crafted between 1350 and 1400 BC, way before the Iron Age. That's so fucking so cool. cool. That's so cool. So, what a ride that meteor has taken, my friends. Traveling through space, passing down a line of kings, to finally being talked about 
on this show. Yeah. Clearly the most important moment of its life. Exactly. Yeah. Finally. Finally. It's made it onto, <laughs> well, that's interesting. That's right. The podcast extraordinaire. There you go. After the break, we're leaving Earth. <laughs> we're leaving Earth and heading to a land where it rains liquid sapphires. Of course we are. And uh, trust me, that really sucks. Trust me. I can yeah. imagine. <laughs> stay, t- <laughs> stay tuned. Please do. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Things done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Hey everyone, Jill Chacha here from Well That's Interesting, and I am absolutely thrilled to tell you about Spotify for Podcasters. I use it, I love it, and it all started by downloading the free Spotify for Podcasters app, which has all the tools you need in one place to record and edit your masterpiece of a podcast. Spotify for Podcasters also distributes your show to all major platforms. So when you hit publish, your episodes will stream not only on Spotify, but I'm talking about the Apples, the Googles, Stitcher, Good Pods, the other ones. (laughs) You get the idea. And you can monetize your podcast with no minimum listenership required. You could also set up monthly subscriptions and record ads just like this one. So what are you waiting for? Download Spotify for Podcasters today and start changing the world. Oh, and please stay interesting. And we're back. We are so back. We're so back. And my friends... Move over hot girl summer. Oh, that's right. Today, it's all about misshapen hot Jupiter. Oh, my God. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) This is one way to describe the unfortunately named exoplanet Wasp-121b. That is so unfortunate. Terrible name. I could get into why that's unfortunate. (laughs) It's just hilarious, though. That's amazing. It gets even better. Oh, God. Before we talk about what in the holy hell is taking place on Wasp-121b, you're probably wondering where it is exactly. So uh, it's not within our solar system, but it is pretty damn close in terms of space. Okay. It's within our galaxy. Okay. Just a stone throw away at 800 850 light years only 850 light years mm-hmm. away that's right that i feel like that should be a country somewhere. <laughs> oh 
<laughs> I would sing it, but I I don't want to make anyone unsubscribe. <laughs> so if you're in the southern hemisphere, you're in luck. It falls within the constellation Puppis. Oh, which sounds adorable, but translates to poop deck. Oh, <laughs> I told you this gets better. Um, uh, sorry, yeah. that's. Okay, okay, okay. It's so funny. Now, if you're wondering why in God's name, a section of the sky is called Poop Deck. I am. I did too. And I I looked it up and uh, a Poop Deck is the roof of a cabin built in the rear of the ship, subsequently also forming an additional deck. So it's the roof of this room, also also making a deck. So it's not actually like a poop it's just space. It's, it's just a, a really space. unfortunate name yes. that we should probably change. It's too. It's too late. It's too late. <laughs> it's too Great. many centuries have gone. Oh by. God! So this um, this poop deck in the sky <laughs> <laughs> is part of an even larger constellation called Argo Navis, okay. or the ship of Jason and the Argonauts. So that's, all right, that's why. Fuck yeah, Jason. So on the uh, on the n- novice, yeah, on the novice, let's ride this poop deck eight hundred and fifty light years towards Wasp one twenty one B, and uh, when we finally get there, the first thing we'd notice about this planet, well, Doctor Marissa, according to Alfredo Carpinetti of iflscience.com, what exactly would we see? All right, let's talk about it. Okay, quote: the planet is only two point four million miles from its star, or 2.5% of the distance between the Earth and the Sun. Its high temperature makes it bloated? Mm -hmm. You got it. (laughs) And (laughs) combined with the strong pull from its Earth, it is deformed. From its Sun. From its Sun. Okay, okay, I'm I'm gonna say this all again because it's so interesting and it kind of describes how like a rough day for me sounds. But uh, quote, its high temperature makes it bloated and combined with the strong pull from its sun, it is deformed. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of being uh, sort of spherical, the planet looks more like an American football. <laughs> End right. quote. Yep. I mean, like, so that's how I feel after eating mm. a lot of French fries and it. Indian food. Uh, something I have eaten both in one day. Yeah. And it's a weird no feeling. Shame. No shame. No shame. I have gone into American football shape for <laughs> yes. sure. Uh, but for a planet, this sounds a little Bonkers, weird. Right? It is weird. How does that work, Jill? <laughs> yeah, let's get into it. Now, if 2.4 million miles sounds way too close to be next to a star, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. For context, Mercury, the planet in our solar system closest to the sun, Mercury is 36 million miles away. That's wild. From our star. This planet is a mere 2.4 million, so it's single digits. So she hot. She is super hot. She's and super hot. Super bloated. So. Oh, God. So what does it mean to be rubbing up against a ball of nuclear fire? Well, <laughs> terrible things. Yeah. <laughs> First, being so close, it's tidally locked. Meaning one side is permanently facing its sun. Ouch! No! No! Summer all year long. All year long. Eternal day on one side and eternal night on the other. That's creepy. Second, quote, WASP-121b has one of the shortest orbits detected to date, circling its star in just 30 hours, end quote. So that's like a year. 
It's a year, thirty hour it, year. Yeah, it's year is thirty hours long. It's it's insane. It's not enough time no. to get anything done. <laughs> And that quote was from news.mit.edu. Uh, something else we'd notice about old, old Waspy as we pull up, uh, it's massive. It's a massive gas giant nearly twice the size of Jupiter. Oh, a gas giant. Yes. <laughs> you okay? It's all, I got it her. sounds so funny. Her. Twice the size of Jupiter. Okay, keep talking. <laughs> I'm good. I'll be fine. Gas giant. Gas giant. <laughs> <laughs> and the upper atmosphere facing its sun is a staggering 4,500 degrees Fahrenheit or 2,300 degrees Celsius on average. It's hot and gassy. That's right. I told you. Yes. (laughs) And we love her. We We love her. We just love her so much. We love her. How relatable, though. You know, finally. (laughs) A relatable planet. (laughs) That's right. Needless to say, this has very interesting and practically devastating effects on the molecules in that atmosphere, and thus making some crazy-ass weather. I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Now, let's start with the water molecules. Okay. Yes, H2O has been detected on this planet, but don't get your hopes up. Okay. Dr. Marissa, according to MIT, what the fuck is going on with this? All right, let's... <laughs> talk about it. I'm so worried. Um, quote, on Earth, water recycles uh, by first evaporating, then condensing into clouds, then raining out. We're familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, on WASP-121b, the water cycle is far more intense. Uh, on the day side, the atoms that make up water are ripped apart at temperatures over uh, 4,900 degrees Fahrenheit. These atoms are blown around to the night side where uh, the colder temperatures allow hydrogen and oxygen atoms to recombine into water molecules, which then blow back to the day side where the cycle starts again. Researchers calculate that the planet's water cycle is sustained by winds that whip the atoms around the planet at speeds of up to 11,000 miles per hour or five kilometers per second, end quote. Mm -hmm. This planet is a hot mess. What a mess. I cannot even begin to fathom. What a day. 11,000 mile per hour winds. (laughs) It's so insane. What are you even doing, girl? Are you okay? Calm down. Calm down. Extra. uh, Do people still call people extra? She's extra. (laughs) She's extra. (laughs) So if you're wondering... If 11,000 mile per hour winds are fast, uh, for context, the highest wind speed ever recorded on Earth occurred on Barrow Island, Australia. Okay. Of course, Australia. On April 10th, 1996, an unmanned weather station measured a single 253 mile per hour wind gust during tropical cyclone Olivia. So one kind of fast wind gust here on Earth. (laughs) I'm really glad that weather station was unmanned. Can you imagine if the guy was just like holding his cup of coffee, looking outside at like houses, just like like Wizard of Oz style, just spinning around. He's just like, (laughs) texting home like, I'm going to be late. (laughs) Jesus. uh, God, which which job would you rather have? That job or the meteor job? (laughs) Don't put me in this position. Don't put me in this position. Too Too much pressure. Too much pressure. Uh, so, my friends, the day side is so damn hot, 
The Astronomical Journal reports, quote, the planet is being stripped of hydrogen and helium, the lightest elements. As these gases are siphoned by the star, other elements escape too, including iron and magnesium in gas form. What? Yeah. Quote, heavy metals have been seen in other hot Jupiters before, but only in the lower atmosphere. Lead researcher David Singh of John Hopkins University said in a statement, so you don't know if they're escaping or not. With WASP-121b, we see magnesium and iron gas so far away from the planet, they're no longer gravitationally bound. Oh. End quote. So this is metals, metals? into gas form. Yeah. Flying out, yes. leaving the uh, gravitational pull, and just floating away. Going away. Iron, iron in gas form? I can't even. I have no idea how to even just... imagine that. <laughs> Well done. Little farts. Little iron farts. Yeah. Just leaving the planet. That's a tough day. Oh, girl. (laughs) I like how we both just had to (laughs) take a breath. So since we're on the topic of iron, if iron being stripped, if iron is being stripped on the day side, you're probably wondering what's happening to it on the night side. Oh my God, I wasn't, but I am now. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Marissa, our resident meteorologist. That's me. (laughs) Please tell us what's happening to these molecules and what weather is being produced. Let's let's get into it. All right. right. From the MIT article, a hot Jupiter's dark side is revealed in detail for the first time. Quote, it also appears that water isn't alone in circulating around the planet. The astronomers found that the night side is cold enough to host exotic clouds of iron and corundum, a mineral that makes up rubies and sapphires. So just yeah. pausing the quote, just yeah. quickly recapping, they have clouds of iron. Yeah. And uh, a mineral that makes up rubies and sapphires. So it's very sparkly clouds. Trippy, man. Yeah. I really want to see that. Okay, I'm going to continue <laughs> the quote now uh, while I leave you all with that. Um, <laughs> continuing the quote, uh, these clouds, like water vapor, may whip around to the day side where high temperatures vaporize the metals into gas form once more. On the way, due to a difference in temperature, exotic rain uh, may be produced, uh, such as liquid gems from the corundum clouds, end quote. I mean, I feel like we all just went on an acid trip Holy together. Shit. Yes, we did. I can't even begin to, to imagine. Is there any way that we could put a camera on oh. this planet? Just, just put it in like a really shielded ball yes. and just have it just or just take acid a little lsd trip no no okay i really want to <laughs> i just want to see it that's so cool i know it's a... so physically impossible to see My but God. Well, we can think about we it can think about it so if y'all are wondering what temperatures are on the night side that could su- sustain iron clouds and sapphire clouds that would be a cool 2800 degrees fahrenheit chilly hmm. wow Ah, last. Super chill. <laughs> Super chill. Last but certainly not least, this entire weather pattern, thanks to the planet's winds and mere 30-hour orbit, this entire weather pattern circles WASP-121b in a mere 20 hours. I can't. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's too fast. It's too fast. Too fast. I'm not ready. Nope. I don't think we should go. 
No. <laughs> we're, leave we're us good. off the list. Totally fine. So a gentle reminder that this football is also nearly twice the size of Jupiter as well. So that's, I can't, I just can't. No, none can't. of us can. This no. is too much. So um, hug the earth sometime today. <laughs> we just grabbed Jill I'm just gonna, instead. Yeah. I'm just so happy we're here. I'm so happy. Uh, let's take care. Let's recycle. I'm, I, that's what I'm doing right after this. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the end. The end. <laughs> That's right. Uh, thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, telling your friends about this horrible, horrible planet. And, uh, and fucking awesome dagger. Jesus, that's so cool. So cool. Just, yeah. I want it. <laughs> uh, and please, stay interesting. Please do.